0: from Mark 2. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news quickly spread that he was back in town. Soon there were so many people crowded inside the house to hear him that there was no more room, even outside the door. While Jesus was preaching the word of God, four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man. But when they realized that they couldn't even get near him because of the crowd, they went up on top of the house and tore away the roof above Jesus' he- head. Excuse me. And when they had broken through, they lowered the paralyzed man on a stretcher, right down in front of him. When Jesus saw the extent of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are now forgiven. This offended some of the religious scholars who were present, And they reasoned among themselves, who does he think he is to speak this way? This is blasphemy for sure. Only God himself can forgive sins. Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts and said to them, why are you being so skeptical? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are now forgiven or stand up and walk? But to convince you that the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins, I say to this man, stand up, pick up your stretcher, and walk home. Immediately, the man sprang to his feet in front of everyone and left for home. When the crowds witnessed this miracle, they were awestruck. They shouted praises to God and said, we've never seen anything like this before. The word of the Lord. Can have a seat. I'm going to invite Kurt Holm up to bring our message today.
1: It's really good to be up here in front of you as your pastor John has been back at the Kentucky Derby betting on horses. (laughs) Yeah, my name is Kurt, and uh, my wife, Melinda, and I started attending Ocean Hills six years ago. But our attendance has been extremely sporadic because I am the campus pastor over at the Samarkand, which is a covenant-living senior community. I never imagined I would be a pastor to seniors, but what a, what a rich opportunity it, it has been and continues to be to speak into the lives of those who are going through so much change and have so much life history to teach all of us. And so it's been a, a really great joy of mine for the past six years. Prior to coming here to Santa Barbara to be at Samarcan, I planted a church, I was a church planter up in the Bay Area. I planted a church in Walnut Creek and it mostly brought young people and young families together. It was a very challenging chapter in my journey, in my life, but full of rich experiences. And then prior to that, I was a youth pastor. Uh, For 15 years, I was a youth pastor in Walnut Creek and I loved working with high school and college students. So I've worked with young people, I've worked with young families, and now I'm working with seniors. You might say that I have been, or I am the quintessential pastor of all ages. (laughs) Or you might just say I'm getting older, which is more of the reality of the case. This morning we're gonna continue our theme that we have been in uh, called Mild to Wild. And we're gonna look at our faith because our faith is not something that is just a permanent stance that we hold. Uh, it's not a position we have. Our faith uh, fluctuates, it changes, it varies. It, um, it, it varies. In my own faith journey, there have been times when my faith has wavered. There has been times where my faith has soared. And there have been moments where my faith has been stagnant. I wanna define belief as faith in action. Uh, That's what I want to define faith as my beliefs in action. What I mean by that is I want my theology, what I believe, to be lived out into biography, how I live. My faith and your faith requires action on your part. And I wanna say that faith always increases when it's acted on. And so this is my hope for this morning as we gather. I hope that you and I will take a moment to assess our faith journey. Uh, how, how is your faith currently? And secondly, I hope that you and I will come to a desire for a, a deeper and, and richer and broader faith experience. And then lastly, I hope that you're willing and I'm willing to begin to take the next step of our faith journey and put our belief into some form of action. So that's the the direction we're gonna go today. But first I wanna read this quote from Eugene Peterson that kinda highlights this idea of mild to wild faith. He says, the word Christian means different things to different people. To one person, it means a stiff, upright, inflexible way of life, colorless and unbending. To another, it means risky, surprise-filled venture, live tiptoe at the edge of expectation. If we get our information from the biblical material, there's no doubt that the Christian life is a dancing, leaping, daring life. I hope that resonates a little bit with you. But I'm surprised that we who claim this bold message of Jesus aren't living out faith adventures more often. There was an old talk show, Merv Griffin talk show. I know that dates me. But he had on his show a bodybuilder. And you can just envision that image this man had muscles on top of muscles. And he was wearing a little Speedo and he had his body oiled down, shiny. And he had these different poses that he was going through. And Merv Griffin went up to him and said, impressive, but what do you use those muscles for? And the bodybuilder went, And Merv said, yeah, I I get it, but what do you use your muscles for? And the bodybuilder looked at him and did one of these stances. And Merv Griffin went to him a third time and he said, read my lips. What do you use your muscles for? The guy goes into a third position. The tragedy is I know some Christ followers that are like that. They have spiritual muscle that they've built up, but they don't use the muscle for the reason that it was created. They have a belief, but there's no evidence of it. It hasn't been demonstrated. It hasn't been really acted on. And the scary thing is that it can happen to any of us. It can be so subtle that we settle into a belief in Jesus, and yet we're not really acting on it. Remember, faith, the way I'm defining faith is beliefs in action. And so some of us sometimes settle into a belief that's void of any demonstration of what we believe. James, the brother of Jesus, writes an entire chapter, chapter two, in the New Testament uh, that gives evidence that faith without action is useless. At the end of the chapter, he concludes by saying, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I want you to hold on to that thought. We just heard this story of this paralyzed man. And I wanna say that it's a, it's a through the roof description of faith. And this phrase, through the roof, was kinda a phrase that many of us used back in the 90s. And it means that something is exceptional, something is beyond the expectations, it's extraordinary. It, it takes people by surprise when something is through the roof. And so, when something is through the roof, it's really good. And so, this story that we just heard, here we have Jesus returning to Capernaum. His reputation is known. He's been there before. So, people flock to him. Uh, Even the rulers from as far as away as Jerusalem come to see this Jesus and to listen to his teaching. And so, this house... Is packed. I mean, people are shoulder to shoulder in this home. You can feel the breath of the person behind you on your neck. I mean, it's, it's a full house. It's a through-the-roof crowd. Four men have a friend who's paralyzed, and they come up with an idea that we want to get our friend, our paralyzed friend, to Jesus. But they arrive late to the house, and it's packed. There's no way they can get in. And so they find a way to dig through the roof. And, you know, the dirt begins to filter down into the eyes of people in the home. And die, die, die daylight breaks through. And they lower this friend, town on a stretcher, down right before Jesus. I want to say that's a through the roof faith. And as the dust clears, Jesus forgives the man, the paralyzed man. Now, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, they're alarmed by this because Jesus is claiming to do something that only God can do, forgive sins. That's blasphemy, punishable by by death. And so Jesus knows their scheming minds, and he says, so You want me to prove my divinity? What's harder to say I forgive you or get up and walk to this paralyzed man? And so Jesus backs up his words with this healing. Would you agree with me that this is a through the roof healing? Pharisees are baffled, people are amazed. Someone say with me, this is a through the roof story. Come on through-the-roof story. It's unbelievable what has just happened. And so I just want to look at three groups of people here in this story. I want to look at the Pharisees, those who I'm going to describe have a stiff faith, unbending, inflexible. And then I'm going to look at the observing crowd that has gathered and suggest that they have more of a a mild faith. And then of course we have the stretcher carriers. They've got a wild faith. They have put their belief into action. And so we have these religious rulers. Uh, They're experts in the Old Testament law and they are to preserve this religious status quo. Now, they should have known that Jesus, who Jesus was. They they should have anticipated this because the prophets foretold about this coming Messiah. And the sign of the Messiah would be the forgiveness of sins. But these Pharisees were stuck in what they believed was right, they were stiff, they were unbending in their faith. They were mired down with the traditions that they knew. They stayed with what was familiar, what was known, what was comfortable to them. They had this I don't, an inability or unwillingness to consider a fresh word from God. Unwilling to budge from the ordinary, familiar, comfortable, what was safe for them. And so let me ask us, When was the last time you gave up a cherished opinion, position, belief for a fresh word from God? Sometimes I think we can kind of settle into a stiff faith that's just familiar, it's comfortable, it's predictable. But can God broaden your parameters of your faith, and living out your faith in some way, in some actions and behaviors? Is, God possi- is that possible for God? These Pharisees were stiff, unbending, unchanging. And then we have the crowd, uh, the curious bunch, who squeezed into this home because they wanted to be close to Jesus. They felt like maybe Jesus has something for them, uh, but, by doing that, they were oblivious to the desperate need of the paralyzed man just right outside the door. They crowded in uh, to, towards Jesus, and interestingly, they took a position that was, you know, between Jesus and the man who needed healing. These observers were interested what Jesus had for them, oblivious to maybe the needs that were just right outside. They thought only about themselves. They watched Jesus do this miracle of forgiving sin and healing this man. They were observers. They were amazed. They marveled. But apparently they were really unchanged. And so let me ask us, are you more a, of an observer of faith than a participant? Are you impressed by faith stories when people tell them to you, but you're not personally impacted or changed by them? Are you inspired, but not motivated to change? Maybe your faith, maybe my faith, has, got too, has become too, too cautious. Is it possible for my faith, your faith to be enlarged, to include maybe new behaviors that demonstrate true faith? Then we have the stretcher carriers. They were not skeptics. Uh, They didn't critique Jesus' theology. Uh, they weren't observers, merely observers, just watching and you know waiting to see what Jesus might do. They were, uh, they were, they acted on what they believed. Remember, faith requires action. I like what Richard Rohr says. He says, "Do not think yourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking." Perhaps it's easier to act our way into, into a new way of thinking than to, just to think our way into to, to a new way of acting. I have a good friend, Jason, back home in, in Walnut Creek, and he really wrestled with life, trying to figure out how faith could be a part of his life. But one point he came to me and said, Kurt, I just can't get my mind to, to wrap around this Jesus. And so he said, rather than think my way to Jesus, I'm gonna act my way to Jesus, okay? And so he started coming to church with his believing wife. Uh, He came every Sunday. I I knew where they sat every Sunday in church. He actually signed up and participated in a small group with men who discussed their faith. Jason told me that he was giving to the church financially that he gave 10% of his income to the church. He was not a believer, but he was acting like a believer. And then one day, he, on ch- during church, he came up to receive communion. And I said, Jason, what's up? And he said, I believe. He acted himself into a place where he embraced the reality of Jesus in his mind. Remember, faith always increases when it's acted on. And so we have these stretcher carriers, these four men. And I believe they got creative, they were determined, and they were bold. They were creative. They got to the house and there was no way to get their friend into the building. No way to get their friend to Jesus. It was blocked. And rather than saying, hey, we had good intentions, but maybe we'll try another day. One of them came up with the idea to say, hey, what if, what if we go up, up to the roof? And I don't think there were any skylights back then, but he said, what, what, what do you think? Could we pull that off? And so he convinces the others and they find a way around the barrier that is before them. You know, we have a saying that says, where there's a will, there's a way, and, and these men, believed that, their wild faith found a way. I love this quote about love, about being creative. It says, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls, and may I add, roofs, to arrive at its destination full of hope. These men were creative in their faith. And they were determined. Uh, they were determined that this obstacle was not a sign from God that they should cease their effort. So they, they literally dismantled their, uh, their, the obstacle. They literally got their hands dirty pulling the roof apart. Now in first century homes in that region, they had flat roofs. They had beams across the roof, but between the beams they would pack mud and straw and yes, manure. And I would have to say that sometimes you and I need to dig through, hmm, to bring somebody to Jesus. Things got messy for them, but they were determined The people, the crowd, they were greatly disturbed by the commotion of it all, but I believe Jesus was seriously thrilled by their determination. Wild faith is determined. And then these guys were bold. They lowered their friend right through that hole, right before Jesus, because they believed if they could just get their friend to Jesus, Jesus could address the need in their friend. And so they had this bold belief that no one else could do what Jesus could do. And they lowered him down. Faith is the willingness to look a little bit foolish at times. But wild faith is bold, it's creative, it's determined. Let me ask us, to what extent will you be there for a friend in need? Is that a part of your behavior, part of your faith, part of your belief in action? Let me give you just a simple illustration. I ran in the San Francisco Marathon a few years ago. Well, a few decades ago. Um, and I really couldn't find the time to train. And Well, really, I didn't have the discipline to train enough for the event. And I know there's many here who are running marathons these days. But there I was in the marathon, running along, feeling pretty confident. And I'd actually run along those water stations to hydrate. And I'd run by and go, I I don't need that. I'm feeling good. And so I just would run along, I'm keeping my pace going. But the the farther I ran, the greater my need was to hydrate. And at some point in the race, I I changed my behavior. And I'd come, I'd, I'd look for those water tables. I'd anticipate them. And when I got to it, I'd kind of lay my body on the table to put my chest on the table. And I would kind of pull as many cups of water as I could to to drench myself. I mean, I ran through the runner's high right into the runner's wall. And it was as if I couldn't even move my body any further. my peripheral vision got really narrow. I could only see what was right in front of me. And at some point, I heard some voices. I I felt the presence of two people coming up alongside of me. And I I listened and I, 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 I thought, do I recognize these voices? And so I turned to both sides and it was two of my buddies that came to run the last miles of the race with me. They broke all the rules to enter in the race just at the end, but they knew that's when I would need the support. That's when I would need the encouragement. And the two of them, not literally, but almost carried me to the finish line. I could not have accomplished that without the help of these two friends who came alongside of me and helped me along. Now, that's an example of wild friendship. But let me ask us, do we have a passionate burden to bring a friend to Jesus who needs the healing touch of forgiveness in their life? Maybe you know somebody who's far from Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, who needs Jesus' forgiveness. Do you have a friend like that? Or maybe you have a friend who is paralyzed in life. Life circumstances have been so heavy. They're a believer, but life circumstances have been so heavy that it's immobilized them. And it doesn't seem like they can move forward because the weight of life has been so heavy on them. Do you have a friend like that? Remember, our faith always increases when it's acted on. And so, here's my exercise for us to conclude. Can you name a person in your friendship group, in your family, associations that you have, is there a name of someone who needs to come to Jesus? Who needs to be brought to Jesus? Uh, They're living far from Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the forgiveness, the love, the grace of this Jesus. Do you have somebody in your life that you can name, that you can identify right now who needs to be brought to Jesus? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is stirring your faith so that you will take some action about that. Or again, perhaps you have a friend who's immobilized because of life circumstances. And they need somebody to represent Jesus in their life. They they need you to be reflective of Jesus in their life. They need your words of encouragement. They need your physical touch in their life. Is there someone in your life that needs to be brought to Jesus, who can't get there on their own, who needs a friend, someone who's willing to Take what they believe about the power and presence of Jesus and act on it to the benefit of a friend, of a loved one. Are you willing to go beyond whatever hassles and barriers and costs there might be? Are you willing to do things maybe a little differently in the friendship to push through whatever obstacles might be there to bring a friend to Jesus? Wild faith always finds a way to bring people to Jesus, always. And so, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify at least one person in your life. Identify one person who needs to be brought to Jesus in, what, in whatever form that might look like. Okay, I want you, I'm, I'm gonna pause here, and I, I want you to literally think of that person Identify the name of that person. Someone who needs to be brought to Jesus. Do you have a name of a person on your mind, on your heart? Uh, I want you to verbalize that name in a moment. So I want you to be ready for this moment. I did this with uh, some of the Ocean Hills teachers, you know, before, uh, kids' teachers, uh, oh, kids, I'm sorry, getting it right, before the service here, and I said, are you ready? And then when I said now, it was silent. <laughs> they weren't quite ready, so I'm giving you just another moment to be ready, but I'm going to ask you to, to, to speak out, and, and I'm not going to ask you to whisper it, uh, speak it, all right? Be bold about it. It's, it's a commitment on you saying, I will do something with what I believe to make a difference in somebody's life, in this person's life. That's what you're stating. And so don't whisper it, state it. Say it out loud. And so when I say through the roof faith, through the roof faith, you're going to. All at the same time, say a name of a person that you're willing to maybe bring to Jesus because of your wild faith. (laughs) Are you ready? Okay, I I feel like you're ready. That's good. Through the roof, faith. ah, Jesus, we bring you these names. These names that... Come to mind that you've placed on our hearts so that we might have a through-the-roof faith to make a difference in these people's lives. Do that work in us and through us. May we take what we believe to be true, that you are the forgiver, that you are the healer, and may we do whatever is necessary to push through the obstacles, the barriers of our, our relationships, to bring people to Jesus in a compassionate and gentle way. May we express our kindness to people who can't get to Jesus on their own. They need our help. And so we commit ourselves to this wild faith. Thank you for giving us the power to do that in your name. Amen. Today we have the opportunity to come to this table that's prepared for us. And so I want to introduce you to this table and welcome you to this table to take. I think you would agree with me that Jesus had a through-the-roof death, (laughs) by what he accomplished in his death and his resurrection. And so he wants us to remember that. He doesn't want us to forget all that he's done for you and me and for all of humanity by bringing his life and presenting it on the cross. And so when he gathered with his followers, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And you and I understand that it's through his brokenness that we have found healing in our soul. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Because of the forgiveness of sins, you and I have a new relationship with our heavenly Father. And so he says, come, take and eat and drink. Remember And when we remember, it helps us to remember that we're affirming Jesus' forgiveness to us. It's offered, and we receive it. It also affirms our identity, that we are children of God. And it also affirms that Jesus is at work in you. He's empowering you by His Spirit to live out His purposes through you. And so I want to welcome you to come to this table, there are 10 stations here, so there's plenty of room for everyone. Let me just give you some instruction. Uh, We're gonna invite you to come down through the the two middle aisles, and after you've had a moment here to take the bread and the juice, we're gonna ask you to exit back to your seat through the the side aisles. Make sense? Yeah, it's a little chaotic, but that's okay. Uh, Our hearts are right when we come to the table. There'll be prayer teams off to the side. Uh, You are welcome. We encourage, we invite you to come and spend a moment with the prayer team if your heart calls on that. So come when you're ready to receive this gift.